Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Uh, turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read from verses 6 to 12. Uh, we're concluding our series today, What Does God Say About Money?, um, it, it's been an awesome few weeks and uh, we started the first week talking about um, all things discipleship and stewardship as it relates to the handling of finance. Last week, Dr. Mike taught on the tithe and the principle of it in both Old Testament and New Testament, the importance of it in our lives. And today we're going to conclude the series and it's been so good to have so much feedback. Uh, it's a challenging subject and topic, but the Bible has a lot to say about it. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, he says this, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as they have decided in their heart, speaking of offerings, not tithe, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, generosity, giving is a ministry. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the point of generosity. What is the point of generosity in our lives? Well, many of us would have seen the movie Lord of the Rings and one of the uh, unpopular characters in the movie is Gollum. And Gollum actually started life in the movie as a man but ended up a scary, freakish animal because he was consumed with greed for the power of the ring and he was so consumed by it that he wanted to harness that power all for himself. And when you and I wrongly believe that we are owners and not stewards of everything that God has entrusted to us, we actually become like spiritual golems who don't realize that our greed is toxifying our soul and ultimately will destroy our life. And unfortunately, any talk about money in the local church is often met with all sorts of adversarial reaction. And yet most of us and most people in the world, let alone the church, are more than happy to have someone in a secular uh, marketplace speak to us about how to uh, steward our finances or how to increase our finances. And yet when it comes to the church, it's often met with a whole lot of suspicion and unfortunately, the reason why that is, is because in some people's minds, there's a great divide between what's sacred and what's secular, what's spiritual and what's physical. And so for many people, including believers, 
The handling of finance and the speaking to it is a very personal, practical, private matter. And so why should the church speak to those things? And yet not only does Jesus teach more about money than prayer, but he actually has the audacity to call us to not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys, but to lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal, telling us that the stewardship and handling of resource is an eternity-defining issue. And so how we handle money is absolutely spiritual as well as practical and affects our eternities. How tragic would it be to allow greed and mistrust of God and His church to cause us to withhold from what is rightfully God's? And yet many people are living under a curse in their life because they're withholding the tithe and they're withholding as the Spirit prompts them what God is wanting to do through them to be a blessing to others. And they're in fact restricting and limiting the blessing that God wants to bring into their own life. This is something of what God was trying to say to the nation of Israel through the prophet Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God says to Israel, you are robbing me. And Israel asks the question, how are we robbing you? And God said, through the withholding of tithes and offerings. And as a result, there is a curse upon you. And as uh, Dr. Mike taught last week and in his book, and I'd encourage you to get his new book on resourcing the local church to advance God's kingdom, we read how tithing and stewardship of resource as well as generous offerings is something that did not stop at the cross of Jesus Christ, but continues into the New Testament church today in the 21st century. And so in the context of giving offerings, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, which was a wealthy church, and he outlines some key principles of generosity and of giving that impact and affect every single one of us. And as we observe it and understand it, it will bring freedom, breakthrough, and also blessing into other people's lives. And he begins in verse 6 by saying, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, whatever we sow, we will always reap. Now, in the context of this passage, when Paul mentions the word sowing, he doesn't want us all to become agricultural experts and farmers and to leave our jobs and head out to the plantation and, and the farm and the paddock and the property, whatever it is, and, and begin to sow seed. In this context, sowing is giving. He's talking about finances. He's talking about generosity. And he says that he contrasts giving sparingly. What's giving sparingly? It's giving with restriction. It's withholding. It, it's giving with a stingy attitude and spirit. And he contrasts sparing giving with bountiful giving, which is giving generously. It's giving over and above the tithe according to how God prospers you in your life. And so sowing sparingly or bountifully is not measured by the amount you give, but by the sacrificial percentage of whatever it is that God has put in your hands. Are you with me today? And so we see the evidence of this 
at work in the Gospels when Jesus is in the temple and he sees the widow go and give a penny. And although it is a small amount, she gives out of her poverty a sacrificial percentage according to the resources that were in her hands. And Jesus looks at it and says, she is more blessed in her giving than the rich who have contributed out of their abundance because compared to the widow's poverty, they have not given a sacrificial percentage according to how God has prospered them. And one of the things that we need to understand is that growing in stewardship and sacrificial generosity is not simply about meeting someone else's needs. It's about transforming our own hearts to be more like Jesus. God has built the law of sowing and reaping into creation itself. The Bible says in Genesis 8:22 while the earth remains seed time and harvest shall never cease. We read in Genesis 1 a, a phrase that just repeats over and over again where God said that let every seed reproduce according to its kind. So that applies to plants, that applies to animals, fruit, that applies to humans. We reproduce, you can only ever reproduce according to your kind. So whatever we sow, we're going to reap back into our life according to the theme of our heart and according to our heart attitude and how we're stewarding that which God has entrusted to us, whether in the natural or whether in the supernatural. Unfortunately, we live in a culture and a generation that wants to reap something that firstly we haven't sown for. And so, you know, we want to reap fit and healthy, but we don't want to sow fit and healthy. We want to eat whatever we want to eat and, uh, and, and, you know, think that just because we're Christians, there's no calories in it. And, and you know, so we're all blessed, you know. And it's like, you, no, no, you, you, you can't reap fit and healthy if you don't sow fit and healthy nutrition. Doesn't mean you can't indulge every now and then. Just means that, you know, you've you got to steward this body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to relationships, you can't reap healthy relationships, but sow bitterness and discord and jealousy, insecurity, comparison. If you want friends, be a friend. If you want blessing in your life and relationships, be a blessing to somebody else. And this principle is observed by people who don't believe in Jesus and there's great blessing in their life because God has built the principle and the law of sowing and reaping into creation. That even those who don't follow Jesus and believe in Him are seeing the goodness of God at work in their life. It's like students, you can't expect to sit an exam and get an A if you haven't studied for it. Some of the students are like, wow, <laughs> mind-blowing. What I tell my kids all the time, you have to study. But, but anything you want in life, if you want to reap it, you've got to sow for it. You see, generosity is the great revealer of the condition of our hearts. And Jesus says in, um, in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, where the heart leads, the seed follows. 
Wherever your heart goes, whatever the affections or the theme of your heart is, your treasure is following, your seed is following. Paul said it like this in verse 7. He said, each one must give as they've decided in their heart. Now, he's not speaking about the tithe. He's speaking about generous offerings. The tithe has been settled in 1 Corinthians. He's now dealing with the issue of offerings. And he said, not to be given reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, God's favour is drawn to the joy-filled hilarious, cheer-filled giver. Literally, it's supposed to be, <laughs> as you're giving everything away, and it's like, dear Jesus, help me. And, and, and there is this joy that is supposed to accompany the, the sacrificial giving of everything. There is something about the favour of God that comes on the right heart attitude. You can fake it for a period of time, but in the kingdom of God, you can't fake it till you make it. It's got to be genuine in your heart of hearts, your condition of your heart, God sees. The world around us sees the external appearance of things, but God looks upon the heart. And so I've got to ask the question, do you see giving as a delight or duty? Is this something just dutiful that you do or do you see it as a delight in God's heart? to be a blessing to others. I heard a funny story about a pastor that was at a restaurant and with a number of other pastors and leaders and, and he grabbed the salt shaker to put on the salt onto his meal and he's shaking the salt shaker and sort of hardly anything's coming out. In frustration, he puts it down and says, oh, a tither. And, uh, and the other pastors around the around the, the table says, what do you mean the salt shakers are tither? Oh, a tither only gives what it has to. And see, you, got, you and I need to understand that when we come into the kingdom of God, God is inviting us to move from have to to get to. I don't have to tithe, I get to. I don't have to give, I get to. It's a part of a lifestyle. And so giving is a privilege, not a punishment for people who are sons and daughters of God. You are never more like God than when you give. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His very best. He didn't go to the, the back, you know, closet somewhere, find the angel with the mangy wing, one eyeball and the gammy leg and say, oh, he'll do, let's send him down. No, he went to his very best. Aren't you glad that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness? He has not withheld the darling of heaven. He's given us the very best. How much more will he also give us good things to those who ask him? And what's the best thing that we could receive from him? The person of the Holy Spirit. The greatest treasure in all the earth is nothing that this world can give us. It's the gift of the person, presence and power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, many of us give enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to transform our hearts. And God is primarily interested in every moment of every situation, every relationship, every circumstance, every act of generosity, uh, every moment that our character is on display. He's primarily concerned with who we are becoming, not what we are accomplishing. 
We as a Western culture are focused. We're fixated on achievement, forward progression. How do we move things north to the profit margin? And whilst all of that is good and okay, God is primarily interested in the condition of your heart. Who are you becoming? And generosity in giving is a litmus test. It's a tool. It's an instrument. It's a catalyst to you and I becoming more like Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, God gave external blessing to bring transformation to the inward heart. One of the signs that the favour of God and the blessing of God was upon you in the Old Testament, in fact, one of the preeminent signs was the blessing in material things. No one can read about Father Abraham and argue that the Scriptures reveal he was mightily blessed. Isaac, Jacob were of that lineage And all of the offspring of Israel were of that lineage that there was a blessing of God that was upon them. Job was favoured and wealthy in the east. King Solomon, which was probably the most famous and wealthiest uh, leader in Israel's history, God blessed and favoured, not because he desired it, but because God used external blessing to draw the nations to his presence as a litmus sign and witness that God's people were marked by God, were called by God, and God would draw the nations to the feet of Solomon to actually uh, allow Solomon to minister the wisdom of God to them. And literally the scriptures and scholars tell us that these nations would bring about a billion dollars of gold each year to Solomon. God used external blessing to transform an inward heart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was not poured out upon all flesh in people's hearts. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes, saves us from our sin, sends the person of the Holy Spirit. And now God gives us an internal blessing of the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts so that you and I are now empowered and enabled to go and take whatever resources in our hands to transform our world. It's from the inside out. Old covenant, outside in, observance of the law, but it was a shadow of things to come. The new covenant is all about the work of the Spirit that has been done in your heart, that has been done in your life. You know, no one has to teach a child to say no. Have you discovered that? Any parents just like, yes and amen, I know what you're talking about. No one has to teach a child to, you know, sort of um, be selfish. Why? Because they're all born little, dirty, rotten heathens. (laughs) All born selfish little heathens. Okay, no, we have to teach them to share. We have to teach them to say yes, because no and self-centeredness is scripted into their little dirty rotten hearts. And we all look at them and go, how beautiful the baby. No, there's a devil inside of there. Let me assure you, given the right circumstances, that devil will come out. And, and so we discovered this with our middle boy, Zach, when in the early days, people come up, oh, he's so cute. So, and Zach's welcome response would be, Hang, he'd bite them, right? Right? And he'd be like, what manner of sorcery is this? Who possessed this kid? He must take after you, Sim. He certainly doesn't take after me. And so, you know, we're, we're there, we're praying, we're waving things, we're doing all sorts, holy water, we're, we're doing all sorts of things, trying to raise this kid in the ways of the Lord. And he's now nearly six foot five. I'd hate him to bite 
invite anyone anymore. And, and so you don't need to teach a child to say no. It, there's this automatic fleshly response. But you may have been born selfish, but you're born again generous in Jesus' name. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul was talking about the works of the flesh, idolatry, immorality, all these different works of the flesh, strife, discord, violence. And he says, such were some of you to the church in Corinth. But he says, but now you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. You've been sanctified by the Spirit of God. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. And now the works of the flesh are dead and you are to come into the life of the Spirit and you are to understand that you now have the creator of the heavens and the earth living inside of you and the nature of God is love and generosity. And love gives and shares of itself so you can't claim anymore to be that little rotten heathen of a sinful baby and kid. As wonderful and as beautiful as they look, we're all born into sin. We need God's grace. We need His forgiveness and we need His transforming work of the Holy Spirit. You see, God makes His grace abound to you so that your good works can abound to others. The Bible says in verse 8, He is able to make all grace, how many times the word all is used, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Four times the word all is used. Abound is used twice. Now, just a heads up when you're interpreting Scripture, whenever there is a word or phrase that is repeated multiple times, God is saying, hey, listen, I'm trying to get a message through to you. I'm trying to communicate to you something very important. Notice the Apostle Paul's revelation wasn't God is able to make some grace abound to you. So that having some things, at some times, you may abound in some good work. The emphasis is on the all-sufficient nature of God's grace. And it's so important that we get a revelation in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that God's grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Your flesh, my flesh, it's weak, it's finite, it's limited, it's restricted. On your best day, your flesh cannot accomplish what the work of the Spirit can do through you. That's why the Bible says, it's not by might nor by power, but it is by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Same with your works. Our works are insufficient to save us. On your best day, when you're feeling very Christian and you're energized and you've had good sleep and you're not irritable and you've had your coffee fill and you, you are now, you're flying, right? And, and, and you, you've just been to a revival conference, you feel filled up, you're awesome, your works are still insufficient. But God's grace is all sufficient. So that in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is God's grace? God's grace is His divine, unmerited favour freely given. You can't do anything to earn it. It is received by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. 
Everything in the kingdom of God is accessed by God's sovereign grace and your faith. How many of us know there's more than enough grace to go around to meet every single need in this room? If God's grace can save you from eternal sin and usher you into the eternal presence of God, where you spend all eternity in His presence, how much more is God's grace sufficient for whatever practical, physical, natural need that you're facing in your life? Why can we believe for God to do this and that when it comes to this, the issue of sin in our life and we believe and confess and therefore we are saved, but we find it so difficult to believe Him for natural, practical things. His grace is all sufficient. And He says, be it unto you according to your faith. Don't blame the sovereignty of God's grace for something your faith must take responsibility for. Many believers are like, well, if God wills it, it'll happen. And I'm like, well, there's a whole lot that God has made available to you that your faith has got to rise up and possess. And I see it in the lives of people who God does, God does great and mighty things. And we're like, what's happening in that person? Maybe they've leveraged their faith. Maybe they've actually applied their faith to the Word of God, to the promises that God has given and to the grace that God has supplied for them to see God move. God is not withholding from you. He's calling us higher to be people of faith that will lay hold of all the promises of God that are yes and amen. How are they yes and amen in your life? Not just because you acknowledge it, but because you believe it and you pursue it. You see, God's grace manifests in you so that people around you can encounter the goodness of God through you. What takes place in you is for around you so that people can encounter the goodness of God through you. You know, last weekend, um, Simone and I were at Nations Conference and then Numa Perth preached eight times, needed to be on an IV drip in between the sessions. I'm tired, I'm exhausted. We're given out one hour of preaching. They say it's like eight hours of work, the emotional, spiritual, physical sort of uh, output. And so by the seventh or eighth one, I had someone come up to me and said, how are you still standing? Because we're not only preaching, we're praying over everything that moved and prophesying over everything that moved. Even the dog and the cat got a prophecy. And so we're there and, and, and it's like, and I had to be honest, I'm like, really, to be honest with you, it's grace. It's not me, it's grace. Remember interviewing a prominent spiritual leader, how has God done all that he's done in your ministry? Grace. God's grace abounds to you so that your good works can abound to others. And in the context of this passage, he's talking about giving and generosity. So God's grace is at work in our lives so that the good work of generosity and blessing can abound to others and we can be a blessing to others. You see, God multiplies seed for sowing and He supplies bread for consuming. There's a really important point. Verse 10 uh, says in this passage, He who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And we need to stop there for a moment and notice something. Who does God give seed to? The sower. He doesn't give it to the consumer. He gives it to the sower. So if there's no sowing... There's no fresh supply of seed. 
Now, someone in their own strength can go out and burn themselves out and try and kill themselves to get seed for their life. But God only supplies supernatural seed to those who have a revelation of sowing. So seed is for sowing, bread is for consuming. How many of us in this room just love bread? Bread's awesome. I read somewhere that there's no calories when you eat bread. It's just, it's, you know, I, I, years ago I did, you know, the low-carb, high-protein diet. The devil is a liar. It, it's just silly. Just put that away. Nothing like hot bread. A bit of butter, margarine. Anyone getting a bit hungry, a bit peckish? You have to wait a little bit longer. We're serving bread out in the foyer. No, we're not. No, we're not. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So it's biblical. Just eat bread. Every time you eat bread, it's like the bread of life, the power. It's very powerful. God's not against you consuming bread. He said he supplies bread for food. So there's a percentage of your income and your resource that's about consuming bread. Serve the needs of your family. Pay your bills. Go on a holiday. Invest into property, whatever it is. There's bread for food, but then there's seed to sow. You eat bread, you sow seed. You don't eat your seed, you sow it. It's selfish to consume seed that God is actually meant for sowing. So both seed and bread come from God's hand, but there is a percentage of seed resource that is about sowing into the kingdom of God. So this is the application when it comes to your budget, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your tax return, when it comes to how you steward money. Do you steward with both sowing and bread consuming in mind? Many people just budget with consuming in mind. Consuming, bread. They don't budget, they don't plan with sowing in mind. Do you plan to sow into the vision offering each year? My wife and I, many people in the church, we plan, we pray, what are we going to sow this year? Then there's a percentage of your seed resource that you honour God with your tithe. For giving back to God, and then there's sowing seed. I came to church today to sow into somebody else's life, not just by word, but by material gift. Why? Because I plan for it, I'm responding to it. You see, the seed that is in your hand never looks like the harvest it contains. 4,000 year old seeds are found in Pharaoh's tomb. They took them, planted them in the soil beside the uh, Nile River. And because there's the DNA of harvest built into that seed, it grows up, produces a plant. A harvest is produced. Why? Because the seed in, in the hand never looks like the harvest it contains. But when you plant it in the soil, in the right environment of the kingdom of God, it produces a harvest. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man sowed in the field. And whilst it was little, it grew into a large mustard tree, larger than all the plants of the field, so that the birds of the air came and nested in its branches. You know, here 
in this bucket, if I could show you, I've got a whole bucket of mustard seeds. And it's crazy to think that Jesus said, if you just have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll speak to this mountain to be moved. And if I was just to get one of these mustard seeds, I mean, even I can hardly see it, let alone you see it. And yet the seed never looks like the harvest it contains. If you were to look at a field of like a mustard field of plants, all these mustard plants, plantation growing up into mustard trees, that seed in your hand doesn't look like much, but when it's planted in the right soil, it grows and produces a crop and a harvest. Everything in the kingdom starts as a small seed, but then it grows into something that becomes a blessing in somebody else's life. And so you never can despise the day of small things. You never can draw the wrong conclusion about the seed that is in your hand and about how it presently looks because what God is calling us to do is to be faithful in sowing the seed and the seed will produce a harvest. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless His church. He wants to bless the kingdom with seed so that we can bless others with harvest. The Bible says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I don't know if you've ever been hangry, but I've found myself hangry every now and then. Some of you are getting hangry listening to this preacher. And, and, and so, you, you, you know, you're hungry, you get a little bit irritable. Well, you know, Jesus was fully and properly God, but he was also fully and properly man. And so one day he's walking along with his disciples and he was hangry. There was no 7-Eleven, there was no cafe, there was no smashed avo, there was no latte, the nectar of heaven. There was just a fig tree. And so Jesus goes to the fig tree vending machine and he is looking for fruit to come from the fig tree. He puts in the coins nothing comes out because the fig tree is in leaf, but it's not producing fruit. Jesus is a little bit hungry because you're not yourself when you're hungry. And so Jesus speaks to the fig tree and he curses it. And the fig tree over 24 hours withers away and perishes to its roots. And the disciples come by the next day and say, Jesus, that tree that you curse, it's perished. It's withered away to its roots. And Jesus begins to talk about the power of faith in our confession to call those things that are not as if they were. And the principle and the lesson, the takeaway is that the fig tree was cursed because it was receiving life, but it wasn't passing it on. How do you avoid the curse of barrenness and lack in any area of your life, you keep passing on what God has given to you. You don't restrict, you don't withhold. Some of us are seed hogs. We're grace hogs. We're spirit hogs. It's all about us and it's all about what we can get. Noah, you're a channel and a river of His blessing. The Bible says out of your belly, out of your spirit. I'm preaching myself happy right now. Out of your spirit shall flow rivers of living water. What God manifests in you has got to flow through you. And one of the ways that you can begin to see not only a harvest in your life, but more importantly, a harvest in others, you've got to keep passing it on. The moment I receive anything, my wife and I are thinking, who can we bless? Who can we pass this on to? When I'm spending time with the Lord, I'm not just thinking about, Lord, please give me a word. I'm like, Lord, whatever you script on my heart, let it go out and be a blessing to others. 
I'm constantly thinking about outward flow of the work of the Spirit in my life. And while that focus is there, God says, give him more, give him more, add more, add more. So don't get jealous and compare and insecure about what somebody else has in your world. Just start giving. Just start being a channel. Just start being a river. And that river of blessing, that channel will start to flow in your life. Opportunities, doors will open. You're like, how did that happen? How did that work? I tell you how, because you understand God blesses you with seed so that you can bless others with harvest. And when you get that revelation and that truth, in you, it changes how you do life. It is a foreign concept in the kingdom of God for people to attend a church, watch worship, listen to a sermon and receive spiritually, but give nothing back to bless God's house. It's a foreign concept. It's tight, but it's right. I'm going to preach the truth, man. It's not in the Bible. I mean, even in the old covenant, he's like, you bring, they were tied 20%. We're not even saying that. We're saying God's saying 10 I mean, it's a discounted experience here. I mean, come on. Seriously. People say, oh, the church is just after your money. Really? No, he's after more than that. God's after way more than that. Your money? No, he's after your whole life. He was, oh, it's, 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 it's heavy. You know, this church, it's heavy. To, the, 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 the discipleship demands. So, yeah, Jesus said, lay your life down. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Crawl on the altar. All you have, your clothes, your house, your car, your relationships, everything you have, your job, that hard-earned degree, it's all God's. You know, you know I'm, I'm believing and longing for the day when students teenagers, young adults study, not just simply get a career for themselves, but study to grow in their gifts and capacities to extend the kingdom of God across the earth. That's why you're to give your best. That's why you're to do well at work. It's not about career. We've got to get away from a career mindset to a calling mindset. A career mindset, it's all about me, my perks, my salary, my holidays, and that is Australian culture. Kingdom culture is I'm called, I'm anointed, I'm gifted, I'm empowered, I've been given seed so that I can extend His kingdom. I can be a blessing to others. I can give it away. And when we get a church that gets that revelation and the majority of us are walking in that that we will transform not just our own gatherings and our own congregation, we will transform the community around us. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 14? When you come together, each one of you brings something with you to bless others. Yeah. A lesson, a hymn, a song, a revelation, uh, food, resource. For years, I've sat down before a weekend, written something prophetically inspired in a card, put cash in there and coming the next day, who can I give this to, to be a blessing? What if every single one of us in this room came to every gathering with something to give away? I'm telling you, I'm telling you wouldn't be able to build buildings big enough for the people that, why? Because we live in a broken, lost, self-centered world and people, one of the only witnesses of who God is is the love that we show to each other. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. 
What seed are you bringing with you so you can bless others with the harvest that God has bountifully given to you? Because the key to avoid the curse of the barren fig tree is to keep passing on what God has given to you and that is the point of generosity. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.